0: From Wyoming Public Media, this, 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 is, this is Spoken, Spoken, Spoken Words, Spoken Words, this is Spoken Words. I'm Micah Schweitzer. By doing that,
1: you're able to kind of re-encapsulate messages in like really powerful ways that people wouldn't expect, right? So I can talk about Wyoming as this rural crazy place, or I can compare it to a black ghetto.
0: On this episode, we're hearing from Marlon Holmes. Holmes is a University of Wyoming PhD student and a slam poet. He says he's drawn to slam poetry because of the power of performance and the freedom the form offers. The biggest part is just the performance aspect, right? Um, ideally, it should be memorized. Uh, I, sometimes,
1: a lot of times, I read. Um, even if I just have it as a, a backup, sometimes it's nice to have that little bit of insurance in case you trip up. You're like, roses are red, violets are blue. I don't remember the rest of my poem. You don't want to have that moment happen. But uh, ideally, it's it's memorized and it comes across differently because there's, there's a motion and there's a performance. So there would be hand motions. There's, there's expressions on your face to convey different things. Sometimes you'll act things out. Sometimes you'll walk and engage the crowd. To me, it, it's kind of um, almost a subgenre of hip hop, at least the way I got into it. And so there's, there's a, there's a rhythmic aspect to it. And so it's kind of funny. A lot of times um, people that listen to me will say, Hey man, you're listening to you. Sounds like listening to a song. And I'm like, well, sometimes I hear a beat um, when I'm saying it, I, I may not have an actual instrument, But it is a flow, and there's a beat, and it's a cadence. Um, And every poem has its own kind of cadence. Uh, Some of that comes with your style. Some of that comes from just reading it and kind of figuring out, where do I inflect? Where do I pause? um, Do
0: I repeat? Holmes studies engineering, but he's been passionate about slam poetry for years. It all started with a single high school English assignment. So
1: I grew up in upstate New York, uh, went to school, undergrad in Georgia and Atlanta, and has a very vibrant hip-hop culture, I got into it. I used to, at one point, want to be a rapper. I think I was, I called myself anonymous, because you've never seen or heard me. It was such a corny name. It was so, so dorky. That's what I called myself, and I would literally remember remember writing around with my uncle, and we would just freestyle. And I would freestyle, and at a certain point, I can't remember when it was, like, high school or something, it was, like, AP English or some weirdness, and, like, write some poetry. I was like, I'm not writing this stuff. And when I wrote it, I was like, oh, like, this is kind of like writing a rap. Like, it's the same thing. Um, but the topics seem to be more broad. And, you know, you don't have to kind of perform to some, some kind of, uh, you know, status of masculinity, uh, which was very prevalent, very prevalent in hip hop and still is. It's, it's kind of going away a little bit. You have some people pushing it, you know, like a Jadena or, um, I mean, honestly, Drake. Drake is crying every five seconds, but he's still a hard rapper, right? So, um I think we're pushing the boundaries, but it was nice to have an outlet and to be able to talk about what I was feeling, what I was thinking, whether it was just a crush, whether it was just being sad, whether it was the feeling of being ignored or like emotional repression. Uh, I, I have like quite a few poems that just solely talk about how it feels to like have to bottle your emotion up because um, you know I'm, I'm a black male and because I'm a son and because I'm expected to be the good kid and, and be quiet and um, and not cause problems. So. A little bit of that kind of self-erasure that occurs. And I can talk about that in poetry, and I didn't really find that same space in hip-hop, and I'm not saying you couldn't, but for me it worked better in poetry. And I just had a really good teacher that kind of encouraged it. And then when I got into college, there was a whole culture around it, so it just kind of took off after its own. Pain is weakness leaving the body. I can hear it again. My heartbeat, oh... How the booming bass, how the deafening din drowns out all the noise. (laughs) Oh, Oh, the noise. See, I've discovered something when I hold my breath and tamp down the tempest of emotions that threaten to overcome my barriers. The pain of inequity, the sadness of loss, the loneliness of success, the fear of failure, the doubt that I may have been doing this on the wrong path all along. All the things that smuggle me to sleep at night, like chloroform-infused pillows. <laughs> you see, I know holding things isn't healthy, but Mama and Poppy got enough on their plates, and my friends have lives of their own, and nowadays you can't even call Miss Cleo on the phone, so the best thing I can do is be strong. Or at least that's what I tell myself to go to sleep at night. You see, crying was taught to me as weakness, and to be honest, I men of my family didn't tolerate no weak-ish, and punches to an open chest were greeting, and you better not call up for your mama, boy, you better eat it. And I did. I got real good at eating my emotions. I swallowed my tears until my blood became like brine, bitter, salty. One could wonder if this is why little black boys and girls grow old, only to die by heart disease and hypertension. I have marinated and distilled misery until I forgot what it meant to be honest with myself, till discomfort and nondisclosure became essential flavors to the meat of my existence, dark meat. Chicken, afraid of my own feelings to my mother, I've told our long white lies when all I wanted to do was cry. I've chopped it up to my dad when all I wanted to say is I'm insecure about growing into a man because Marlon has always been such a good boy. He never caused no trouble. You see, the working class struggle has always been a hustle and so early I learned that a closed mouth don't get fed, but that don't mean others ain't gonna eat. So the best thing i do is ask for just a little bit nestling what I needed so those portions go to those who really needed the feeding. My restraint could be a boon to my family, my suffering a sucker in times of need. So I held my breath. I mastered a facade of fake smiles and laugh, Code switched between the language of internal strife and dishonest discourse I have chosen not to feel. Shallow breaths, restricted airways, weight on my chest, my diaphragm struggles to provide the room to inhale. Self-inflicted suffocation in bass. The base of my own heartbeat, but these 808s can only lead to heartbreak. Complex emotion currents consisting of real and imaginary portions multiplied by a voltage produce an apparent power to move a man to the borderline of madness. Base and heartbeat. My heart arrhythmia is the only thing that can remind me that I'm still alive. Somewhere. That I'm not yet gone too far for on that day I've reached to fix you. Without heartbeat, coma, sleep without waking. Emotional depth, suicide of feelings, pain is weakness, leaving the body. If I hold my breath long enough, will it all wash away? Base, heartbeat, sleep, death.
0: That's a poem called Asphyxia. Although larger social issues like politics and race serve as inspiration, Holmes favors themes built around his own life experiences. He says his poetry is meant to be both cathartic for himself and to spread a larger message. One thing that I like about poetry is is it pushes back against what is considered to be appropriate, right?
1: Like by my definition, and I've heard people say this before, like, oh, your poetry is so vulgar at times. But I think that by definition, it is bordering on inappropriate because it plays with grammar, it plays with words, it plays with similes and metaphors and and onomatopoeia and expression and acting. It plays with all the, the general forms of knowledge in the written world that we think. Um, and so... By doing that, you're able to kind of re-encapsulate messages in like really powerful ways that people wouldn't expect, right? So I can talk about Wyoming as this rural, crazy place, or I can compare it to a black ghetto. And I could talk about the different similes between how the crack epidemic that happened in some inner cities is similar to the opioid epidemic that's happening in rural towns. I could talk about how, you know, the lack of jobs and gentrification that could be happening is similar to what's happening here, right? And And it would be catchy and it would open their eyes to the situation that we're more similar than we are different, right? That's that's not an experience that they would know, but they know theirs. And if and if I can somehow grab, latch onto theirs, um, I can bring them into mind some kind of way. And so, you know, the issues of fear, issues of anxiety, sadness, depression, those are things that we all deal with, happiness, joy. Um, those are all things we deal with. And so if I can latch onto that feeling and I can like drag it out and say, hey, like I'm feeling the same way and this is why... Uh, I think people still get it.
0: In the end, he says it's the audience that makes slam poetry powerful. Holmes says the ability to relate to and to understand one another is the ultimate goal of creating and performing slam poetry. So here's another piece titled E Equals MC Squared.
1: Scientifically, E equals MC squared, but factually, she equals my care squared. You see, this has moved past the realm of physical attraction and lust and into the realm of psychology and hypothetical constructs. Things like like and endearment, but maybe even love, though I fear it. But when I'm near it, it's like a gravitational attraction between two bodies. I can't help but get closer, and most certainly the force of our attraction scales with the inverse square of the distance between us, but maybe the inverse cube or exponential will be more appropriate, taking to the log of base E, because my logic is always focused on she. And simply this is one, a symbol of our union, a singularity, an entity unique and of its own class in the cosmos, in an environment where free fun is a common denominator, she is the one I want most. And this one is binary logic that dictates I am on for her and off to anything that brings harm to her. And on with her, there's nothing in this world I couldn't handle short of a nuclear winter. You see, she is a black hole. But not in a bad sense. I mean, it's just that the light of my eyes will never be able to escape that view. A force of attraction so dense that space time itself is skewed in her presence. All strong become weak, and all proud become meek as if bowed and skewed to point at her, the source of light in the room. You see, time slows to a standstill. Like a temporal distortion, seconds become hours as I try to mathematically analyze the resonant frequency of the subtle sway of her hips, or how the amplitude just never seems to dampen, or how the tensile force and reaction forces interact to make her hair move the way it does in a wind, or the exact volume of blood that rushes to her cheeks and her ears every time she laughs at my jokes, no matter how nerdy they are, and that laughter Many times I have wished there was a Fourier transform precise enough to break down the composite frequencies that comprise such a euphonious melody. You see, searching for perfection of the Hru him, I kept the great sphinx, her soothing voice quelled the insatiable feral rage of the prone lion inside me, gave sustenance to the man of wisdom within me, and gave wings of the eagles to fly upon to my dreams. Maybe one day our dreams. You see, most male homo sapiens are only looking for a homo erectus, constantly contemplating fantasies of conservation, momentum of various impulses, a range of elastic and inelastic collisions. But you see, to me, that's not a variable. I need not even touch her to be satisfied. In fact, it's like her very presence is charged through magnetic induction, sparks fly, energy is transformed, and we both leave feeling charged, refreshed. But we never touch. It is simply two beings being in the moment together for a while. And her smile always follows my rainbows and dispels the dark clouds that hang over my head. Rushes of endorphins and adrenaline burn through my system whenever she is near. A flirting look can cause chest pains. And a kiss, well, that might kill me. But you know I'm willing to go forward, yearning for a touch, hoping maybe one day her mind will centrate on me like my mind does on she. She of a Sylvan name. And her brain spurs conversations ranging from the next NBA draft to the application of the Oedipus complex. And how ironic is that she reminds me of my mother. And the others, they're cute. That's cool. But that's not what I want, so why waste time with such wrong turns and dead ends and a potential roadblock to what could be our future? Calculating the parabolic furs and make her a mackling figure. It is still beyond me how she or any other could call you anything less than beautiful. Or more appropriately, amazing. So as it stands, I will be here to remind you every day and everyone else who dares to question how truly priceless you are. You will know what I think of you. So I'll be here waiting patiently for the chance that maybe your choice, my choice, some choice will lead me in one of these many parallel worlds of the multiverse to you. You see, E may no longer equal MC squared, and light may may someday not be the fastest thing around, and the sun may even go down forever, but you will continue to shine to me. So
0: I stand here, resolved. That's Marlon Holmes performing some of his slam poetry. The episode was produced by Brooklyn Gray. I'm Micah Schweitzer. You can find more episodes of Spoken Words at wyomingpublicmedia.org. Spoken Words is a collaboration between the University of Wyoming's MFA in Creative Writing Program and Wyoming Public Media.